If you're going to be late, be really, really late. My wife is here with me, and uh, next month we celebrate our 26 years of marriage. And early on in our marriage, we had several instances, experiences where she would go out and uh, say, I'll be back in 30 minutes, and would not come back for about four hours. I got to go and, you know, buy this over here and I'll be back in 30 minutes. And back then we didn't have cell phones. So the first time she she did that, I remember like the first hour, it was like, how can she take so long? I'm so upset at her. I'm so upset. You know, we have things to do. I can't believe she's wasting time like that. The second hour, it was like, "I, I wonder if something happened. No, she couldn't be this late. She couldn't be this late. Maybe something's happened, right? The third hour, that's the hour of desperation. The third hour was like, oh, my God. If, she, if you bring her back to me safely, Lord, I will love you. I would do anything for you. It was one of those. And then she would walk in. And, I'll, and guess what? My reaction would be, thank God you're back. I love you so much. So she understood if she's going to be late, she better be really late. So that by the time, you know, don't come in the first hour or the second hour. You got to wait till the third hour when my heart is in a state of desperation. I feel like God is uh, taking New Philly through that experience. It's not a nice experience. Um, It's not a painless experience. But nonetheless, it may be a necessary experience just to get you to the point where you understand what is most important. Why this church existed or exists. What are you as an individual member of this church supposed to do? As I thought about um, a message for you, um, the chapter of love, First uh, Corinthians 13, came uh, to my mind. So let me read uh, the seven, first seven verses of this wonderful, well-known chapter. Chapter 13, verse 1, First Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body as to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It, is not, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. When you think about what love is, most of us would say, yeah, it's... We're not as shallow as to say love is a a mere emotion. 
We might say love is a commitment. And maybe for those of us who have been a believer a long time and have been married and we understand that love is a covenant or a promise or other biblical categories like that. Um, when you look at the, the context of 1 Corinthians 13, this passage is in a section of the letter that talks about worship. You know, Paul addresses the Corinthians, Corinthian Christians and says, hey, you're abusing spiritual gifts in the church. You're divided. There needs to be unity in the church. After chapter 13, tongues and prophecy. You're misusing tongues and prophecy. And the worship service is very unorderly. You better get that straightened out. And right in the middle of that is the shortest chapter of 1 Corinthians. And perhaps the most foundational chapter. What is most important for the Corinthians and for the church is this thing called love. And so love is not a, a commitment. It's not just a covenant. It's actually worship. We can see this throughout the scriptures. When Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money, he says. He's talking about love is worship. So my message to New Philadelphia Church is very simple today. Aim for worship. Aim for worship. Aim for love in worship. Aim for love as you do church. Aim for love. Look for this thing, love, that I think is so foundational to you as a church. You're, you're in a moment of desperation and God is telling you, go back to love. But why is love so important? These chapters, uh, these verses, the first seven verses, is quite stunning, if you think about it. Um, because in the first three verses, Paul seems to say, only the core of love actually gives meaning to your worship. Because look at this. <laughs> Incredible list of spiritual gifts the use of spiritual gifts in this church, we know from the other passages in 1 Corinthians, incredibly gifted church, this Corinthian church. When I think about New Philadelphia Church as somebody who's been kind of outside, many of my students have come, I think of, man, incredibly gifted church. Incredibly gifted. But all of those gifts, all of the exercises of those gifts... Look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. If I have prof prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Oh my goodness. If I can move mountains. Because my faith is so potent. If I'm as generous as to give away all that I have and even... If I give up my body to be burned, that's, that's martyrdom. 
I mean, I don't know if any of you are called to be martyrs in the church, but that's the highest calling in the church. And, and all the church history, historians and theologians would say, really, the seed of, seed of the church is the martyrs, right? And even in Paul's day, there were martyrs for the church. If God is calling you to be a martyr, what other way of worship is there? But he says, even that. Incredible to me. Even that, if you don't have love, it's meaningless. Each and every one, from the most basic, the speaking of tongues, to the most incredible, to deliver up my body to be burned, each of those are hollow and worthless without love. The older I get, and I'm only 30 right now, so my wife and I were married when we were four, the older I get, I realize gifting, not that important, gifting, not that important. If God gifts you, great. Praise him with it. Use it to build his church. Use it. But don't identify yourself as the one who is gifted by God. Don't make that your, your badge. Don't make gifting your identity. What's most important is love. Any worship, any practice of gifts... Any worship that you do, service, giving of yourself, anything that is not done in love is hollow. It actually offends God. I'm a noisy gong. I'm nothing. I gain nothing. It's worthless. It benefits no one. Incredible. How can a faith that can move mountains benefit no one if there's no love? See, God has always been interested more in your heart, in our insides, than what we could do on the outside. Because what we do on the outside, God can do so much better. God can snap his fingers. And it can be done without you and me. But he wants us to be involved in order that we might taste his love. In order that we might be lovers of God. Jeremiah 17.10 or Proverbs 16.2. These verses talk about how the Lord searches the hearts and tests the minds. Or how he weighs the spirits. It's scary. Even as I stand up here tonight that God 
today that God is weighing my heart. And in my mind, I'm praying, Lord, let me love you with my whole heart. Because I don't want to worship in a way that offends you. When I was a college student, um, my wife and I were in the same college group together, and some of you who are in the college group here at uh, Hongdae, you probably know that, you know, if, if you're a worship leader as a guy, it's very attractive, right? So uh, believe it or not, I know some of my students probably find it hard to believe, I was once a worship leader. Right. Yes. And as I had that guitar in front of me and leading worship, some of you who were leading worship, you guys did a great job today, leading worship, I could sense some of these ladies in the crowd. <laughs> you know. And one of them was my wife. Yes. In her days of, you know, <laughs> lesser spiritual awareness, I guess. <laughs> Idolatry is so, so, so easy. And so fast forward many, many years... And we have uh, two children, and our second child, our son, he's musically very talented, far more than I am. So it can't be just me. <laughs> I wish I, I could take credit for that. But, I mean, I would teach him one, one or two sessions of anything, my guitar, and then the next week he would be far better than I, I would be. Very talented. And, and he, he wanted to be a praise leader worship leader and a, a musician and my wife and I had this great fear begin to take over in our hearts and we just wept you can imagine this you know 11 year old kid says oh I'm going to do music and we're, you know his parents are like <laughs> you know he was shocked and but every time we thought about it every time we prayed for him, we just wept. Because I think I understood, at least for me, I can't speak for my wife, but I think I understood in my, in my own experience that I could take the place of God in somebody's life. Especially when music is there. Especially in the churches when there's talented leaders. Sometimes the music can take over. I, I'm a little bit, I'm always hesitant when somebody says, I love the worship music in our church. Wait a minute. Some of the biggest concerts in the U.S. are by worship leaders like Chris Tomlin. And in some, in some ways, I'm, I'm happy to see that because it's worship music. In other ways, I worry. 
Is that not idolatry? Because idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything or anyone that was meant to be worshipped. And you guys need to understand, we need to understand that we actually very easily switch those two. This church exists, New Philadelphia Church exists to worship the one and only true God, to worship Jesus Christ, His one and only Savior. Amen? If you begin to switch that, and somehow New Philadelphia Church becomes the object of our worship and adoration, you've missed it. The next four verses goes a little bit further. The first four The core of love gives meaning to our worship. But then the next four really takes on the character of that love. And basically Paul seems to be saying that it has to be a righteous love that gives meaning to our worship. The kind of love that Paul exhorts the Corinthians towards are in fact, if you look at it carefully, they're the fruits of righteousness. Or the fruits of the Spirit, as you might be uh, more used to thinking about. So love is patient and kind. Where does that come from? Love does not envy or boast. It It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. And what we realize is that these are the fruits of the Spirit that love is connected to. And in fact, some of them become a sort of active catalyst to bring about righteousness and in some ways guard against sin. It does not envy. Right? It, does not, uh, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Why are those things important? Because ultimately, you're trying to guard against sin and bring about righteousness and love in worship, in the worship setting. That's what we're doing. So the connection between love and righteousness is right there. Love pleases God because it is righteous. And righteousness pleases God because it is motivated by love. So you are to please God through the loving that you do in the context of the church, in the context of the worship. Not please yourself. Or not please some other people around you. But please God. Implied in Paul's description of love are the righteous requirements of the Mosaic law. The very law that he studied many, many years. And he probably had memorized. That Jesus sums up in two very succinct commandments. right? The great commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And what we see in this short passage of seven verses is this thing. Love the Lord your God. That's the first three verses. You can do these acts of worship, but if you're not loving God, you are breaking the first four commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven image. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day. All those are, are being broken if you don't have love, Paul is saying. And then you have this love of neighbor uh, as yourself, the kind of love that is consistent with your worship in verses 4 through 7 in line with the last six commandments of the ten. You are breaking commandments 5 through 10 if you do not have this kind of love towards your neighbor, a patient and kind love, a love that is not self-seeking. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Love is the righteousness of that the law requires. That's another way of understanding that passage. So our worship, if it is to be directed by love, and our worship that is supposed to bring us to the place where we love one another with this love of neighbor that is described in this chapter, what is Paul actually saying? In our society, I think we're obsessed with love, right? When a K-pop star and a K-drama star gets, you know, married, we're like, oh! <laughs> we want these loving relationships or these, you know, pro public professions of love to be real and lasting because we ourselves want to be part of that kind of love. Maybe with, not only with our spouse, but with our families too, right? With our children, for those of you who have children. But that idea of perfect love, that obsession with that love that looks perfect on the outside is not what the Bible talks about. It's not the kind of love that the Bible considers to be perfect. Jesus himself says in his sermon on the mount, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the, do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
when we understand 1 Corinthians 13 in light of the great commandment of God, in light of the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, what we realize is Paul is talking about a perfect love. And that perfect love is not something that we can experience. Because the sad truth is, the best of us, the best of you in the church, you cannot love perfectly. We cannot love the way Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. So stop giving it to your girlfriend. Ladies, if, if some guy gives you this passage, run away. And he says, oh, I'm going to love you like this. Oh, forget it. No, it's not going to happen. The sad truth is we cannot love this way. Our love is found wanting because our righteousness is found wanting. Our love falls short because our righteousness falls short. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a lover who can actually love like this. That's why we place our hope and trust and we, and we exalt and worship the one and only Lord, one and only Christ, who actually loves the way that Paul is saying here, because Jesus is the one who is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus does not, is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things and endures all things. Love is more than a commitment or a covenant or even a worship. Love is actually Jesus. The Apostle Paul says when he came to Corinth to this incredible, incredibly gifted uh, church and planted, planted that church, he actually says he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. Do you want to love God? Look for Jesus, brothers and sisters. Do you want to know that God loves you? Look for Jesus and Him crucified. New Philadelphia Church, I can confidently say that God loves this church. Why? Because Jesus died for you. Jesus came and he died for you. He was crucified for you in order to show his love. I want you to bow your heads with me. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lord, I pray that this love would reign in the hearts of all of New Philadelphia members, would reign in the hearts of all those who worship you, who love you, who want to see this church heal and be renewed and become a powerful witness to your love for us once again. Lord, I bless this church. I bless each of the members here. And Lord, I bless the love that you have given and shown to us that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, you showed, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your one and only son. Lord, I pray that that gospel would be blessed among this church and that you would let that gospel sink deep into the hearts of each of the members. And Lord, that that gospel would bear fruit by bearing witness to the one who loved us so. So Lord, we thank you and, and we ask for your blessing upon this church. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.